This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Well, welcome back to Policing Matters. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, if you have not had a chance to visit the National Law Enforcement Memorial and Museum in Washington, D.C., get there. Not now, but right now. It is a monument and a testimonial to all the law enforcement officers who died in the line of duty. It's uh, it's important. It's something that we should witness. And uh we're going to talk to Troy Anderson about some of the events coming up for the annual uh, events at the National Law Enforcement uh, Memorial and Museum. So each year we talk with someone from the NLEOMF, the Memorial Fund built and continues to maintain the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, the nation's monument to law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty. We ask that what trends are we seeing nationally? What are our law officers dying from? And what can we do to reduce those numbers each year? We also want to understand what we can do to support law officers who've seen so many tragic and sometimes haunting events in their service capacity. Troy Anderson is the executive director of officer safety and wellness for the NLEOMF. Welcome to Policing Matters, Troy Anderson. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity to to join you today and talk a little bit about what we're doing in Washington, D.C. with the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. You know, we have a real three pillar approach, and I think uh, it's important that folks understand those three pillars and how they work. Uh, The first one being the memorial, which you've uh, so eloquently talked about. Uh, It's a a beautiful grounds, uh, really an opportunity for people to come together and, and honor the sacrifices of the fallen, uh, and for many, uh, an opportunity to begin the healing process. So if you haven't been the, to Washington, D.C., that's something that you should see. We also have the National Law Enforcement uh, Museum, which is di- right on the campus, directly across the street from the, uh, from the memorial itself. Um, it's an absolutely wonderful museum experience, especially for folks in law enforcement, to really tell the story of, of what our vocation has come from and where we are today, and then maybe a glimpse into the future, uh, looking at some technology, looking at things that have really changed. Um, We've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. And that's part of the reason why we're talking here today. And then the last piece, and that's the piece that that I'm responsible for, is the Officer Safety and Wellness Program. So we have a number of partnerships, uh, federal partnerships through NHTSA, uh, a Safe Leo program. We can talk a little bit about that, but it's really a suicide identification and prevention program for law enforcement. Uh, We have a Destination Zero program, which is a nationally recognized sort of best practice model program where every year uh, agencies from around the country have an opportunity to submit their officer safety and wellness programs. We have an evaluation uh, committee that meets uh, and they select the winners in in different categories. And then representatives from those agencies are brought to DC and and, uh, furnished with an award every year. So it's really, we do a lot of exciting work um, you know, but from the officer safety and wellness standpoint, our, our main objective here is to keep names off the wall and to make it, make it safer for those who serve. And we take that very seriously. I have a background in law enforcement. 
started in the military police back in the 80s, spent some time in corrections, was on a municipal department in Massachusetts for a few years and did 26 years with the state police, uh, retiring as the uh, director of, of uh, wellness and resilience. So uh, this is something we do take seriously. Uh, we're always looking at innovative and new approaches to how we can make this better. Um, you know, it's important to realize that we are the, uh, the we're the leading um, agency that looks at and certifies official line of duty deaths in this country. So uh, we're, there's a lot of uh, statistical uh, data that's gathered and we have a substantial database that we're able to draw from. And that's where these numbers come from every year. Yeah, well, congratulations on your appointment uh, to executive director of uh, wellness and officer safety. Uh, you know, over the years, uh, we visited with the National Law Enforcement Museum and, and the foundation to hear about the, the top um, contributors to officer line of duty deaths. So I was really excited to hear about your appointment and moving forward, maybe listening to some prevention measures, some tips of what you're seeing in, in the data and how officers can, can better protect themselves. I'm sure between 2020 and 2021, uh, there have been some unusual uh, data coming across your desk. Tell us about those years. Certainly. Well, this past year, we had 458 deaths, uh, official line of duty deaths, which is 55%. It was a 55% increase from the year uh, previous to that, which was the number was 264. So just that number alone should cause people to really just pause. And I'm not talking in just necessarily the law enforcement community, but America as a whole, when we look at those numbers and we really sort of, as we peel back the layers of this onion and look at these causes of death, we really should should sort of as a nation look at this and say, what, why are we going in the wrong direction with these numbers? Why are we trending in the wrong direction? And what can we do to sort of turn that around? So I, I jotted down some of the numbers uh, over the last couple of years and kind of get an idea of how we are going in the wrong direction. And then maybe we can talk about some of the preventative measures that we've been taking very proactively in order to kind of roll those back. Um, obviously, it, from, from everybody's standpoint, zero names going on the wall would be a really great year. We would like to see that, but to see it, the number 458, and, and just as a glimpse, there's 619 names being engraved this week at the mm -hmm. memorial in, in DC. So 619 names, it's almost unthinkable. Clearly, uh, you know, as many know, in this case, the leading cause of death this past year was COVID, COVID-19 related uh, illness. Um, but we'll talk about that a little. In 2020, uh, for firearms deaths, there were 48 firearms deaths. And then for 2021, that number went up to 62, which is a 36% increase, a substantial number. And, and, and all interwoven in that are things that sort of jump out at you. So for example, uh, 19 uh, ambush, uh, ambush firearms attacks. So what that means essentially, as you know, is that in 19 instances, there were people that were lying in wait to kill law enforcement. Mm. So law enforcement officers need to really think about sort of the basics that we all learned in the academy, sort of that cover and concealment, that tactical approach. Am I making sure that I'm wearing my soft ballistic body armor? Am I making sure that all the, all the duty gear on my belt is working effectively? Am I proficient in the use of those? Uh, many agencies only require you once a year to go to the range to to use your, your issued sidearm or to use your shotgun or a long gun if you have that issued to you. But once a year for many is not gonna be enough in order to maintain proficiency. 
have I checked my equipment lately? Do I have everything in my vehicle that I need before I go out on duty? These are all things as you're thinking about how can we save, how can we save each other, right? Uh, it, it's a very, when you look at those numbers, they're startling, especially when you look at those ambush killings. That's a significant number, clearly going in the wrong direction. When you look at traffic fatalities in 2020, that number was 44, and that number in 2021 went up to 58, which is a 38% increase. So as we were looking at those numbers, what really jumped off the page was the substantial increase in struck by fatalities. And sadly, even into 2022, we're seeing even more struck by fatalities. Uh, many know about uh, just two weeks ago in Pennsylvania with the two Pennsylvania state troopers uh, that, were, that were killed on the side of the road trying to get what they believed was an intoxicated motorist into a vehicle. And somebody went around, around the wrong side of the vehicle and, and killed all three of them. Um, you know, that when you look at struck by fatalities, those are preventable. Every state has a move over law. Uh, and it says that you need to move over. If you can move over safely, you should. If you can't, you should slow down. Uh, but unfortunately, many people are out driving distracted. They're not paying attention to what's happening. Either they're, they've, you know, maybe they're texting or they're checking their social media accounts. Um, you know, sadly, there's a number of folks that are uh, under the influence that are out driving that just are not paying attention. But officers need to think about, am I taking all of the proactive steps necessary to protect my life and the scene and the, in, in the civilians that might be at that scene? Uh, am I using all the, the tools at my disposal? Am I wearing my reflective vest? Am I using uh, cones if I have them or, or alternate lights? Am I positioning my vehicle in such a way that if this scene were to be invaded by, by a, a, a motorist going by, are we providing adequate protection? Are we using uh, fire apparatus that may be at the scene to protect that scene because they're much, much larger than patrol vehicles? Are we using crash trucks? Are we using tow trucks to some extent? Really looking at that TIMS model, right? That traffic incident safety management system. Or what are we, or, you know, are we looking at that? Are we implementing that system uh, effectively? And I think that there's a lot of training that can happen. Um, but as we look at all of these numbers, we're not just speaking to the rank and file officers out in the field. We're speaking to those supervisors and, and some of the commanding officers. We're also speaking to the administrators and saying, this is, this is best practice. This is how you can help save your folks. So if you need to change policy, if you need to change training, if you need to implement new protocols in order to keep your officers safe and the community safe, this is the time to do it. We have the ability to do it. It just needs to be implemented. And, and certainly as I'm talking to the, to the men and women that are out there every day doing this job, it's not an easy job. We've seen it change significantly in the last couple of years have been difficult. I recognize that and so does everybody else. But we also recognize that that doesn't mean let your guard down. Uh, you have to really pay attention every day. How am I approaching this scene? How am I approaching that incident? Um, and everyone, as we know, is a one-off. No two are the same. And all of that training and all that experience that has been combined over the years that we've been able to as officers in the field, we know with that sixth sense when something is off. Take that extra minute. If you're, going to a, if you're going to a hot call, wait for the backup, if you can wait for backup. Do the things that we already know. And, and I'll give you some resources as, as we talk about this. But one of the things I would like to point out is our Destination Zero uh, website, destinationzero.org. You can go on there and look at some really fantastic 
best practice programs that have been implemented, safety, wellness, resilience type programs from all around the country. Take a look at what they're doing. See how they are saving their officers and what they've done to take real steps in, in ensuring safety out there. So I, there, there's so much that can be done. Uh, it just needs to be done. And I think if not now, when? And the answer to that is now. That's the answer. So uh, the, the last uh, numbers that I'd, I'd like to talk about are the is sort of the other category. So that other category historically has been officers who have maybe died from health-related illness, whether it's 9-11 related illness or a cardiac event, that sort of thing. But it, in the last couple of years, it's been expanded also to include, um, to include COVID-19 deaths. So we have seen that number. In 2020, that number was at 172, which is a significant number. But then when you look at 2021, that number went up to 301. Wow. And almost predictably, we can see that that number is going to continue uh, in the wrong trajectory uh, going upward. So we've talked about we've, co we've talked about COVID-19 for two years. I think it's certainly it's been uh, on the minds and on the lips of every first responder. Certainly it's it's taken over the media and it's really been the conversation. Um, but I think that we in law enforcement or first responders in general need to really think about how am I protecting myself? And we know that in law enforcement, you don't always get the opportunity to maybe don the, the appropriate uh, PPE as you're rolling up on a scene or maybe something is presenting in real time and you have to get out. We know that. And we also recognize that we're not getting all the information that we would need when we're responding to a call. Uh, but we could change that to some extent. The, the call takers, the dispatchers, whoever's on the other line, the operator, try to get as much information as you can to convey to the officers in the field. And I'm talking about in every possible case. It's not just about COVID-19. Ask the extra questions. I know everybody's busy and I know that, you know, it's a very fluid and active environment, but ask the questions because very often by continuing that conversation to sort of get as much as you can that you can, you can then put out to the field um, you may be saving a life. And certainly uh, asking those questions about COVID-19 are important because an officer doesn't have the opportunity to say, uh, no, Jim, I don't want to go into that call because I'm afraid somebody has COVID-19. That's not a luxury that they enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to have to go in if somebody's home gets broken into, and they're going to have to take statements and, and uh, fingerprints and uh, photographs and all those things that, that we know we need to do, but we don't have that luxury. So ask the extra questions. And officers need to take those, those extra steps that they can uh, to make sure that they have the appropriate PPE, because these numbers are going in a, in a really bad direction. Uh, you know, and especially we've seen in the corrections field, it just sort of, you know, in some of these jails and prisons, it's an outbreak. And, and you know, uh, folks are sadly succumbing to this uh, in record numbers. Um, but, but take those steps, ask the questions, and certainly... Uh, we take the position at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund that we are pro-vaccines, but we're also pro-letting the law enforcement officer have that conversation with their practitioner and getting that one-on-one -on -one advice as to whether that's the right thing for them to do. But I think in order to get that, we know that we're, we're sort of working in a culture that's closed off and we're leery of information that's coming from the outside, but getting that information from your practitioner that you have a relationship with to let you know this would be a good thing for you, or maybe it wouldn't, but at least you, you are being informed and you're getting it from the right person. And I think, I think that would make a lot more officers feel more confident in that decision-making as opposed to you know, maybe hearing it from, from an outside source. 
So now, uh, yeah, all of those are good points. And especially COVID, the, you know, for any officer who's uh, fired or let go because they didn't comply with their agency's COVID compliance. Um, I mean, what a shame. And I, and I hope legislators get involved to, to identify exactly what you just said. I mean, there, there might be things, you know, way beyond going to duty and putting on a mask and dealing with, you know, a naked guy with COVID running down the street. Sure. I mean, there's other considerations for the officer's family, their own immunity and, and all those other things that, you know, we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think then, that, that having that information is important. Yeah, for sure. And then the um, the idea that if you if we removed COVID, if we removed the COVID numbers, the numbers are still alarming. And every year we see this sort of jockeying between um, suspects uh, causing the death or traffic accidents or traffic incidents causing deaths of officers. I mean, you hit on both of those. The the ambushes are just unfathomable to to understand. And and the shift that we've made as a as American society um, in the value of police officers, but then the the traffic uh, collisions are, you know, I guess they're preventable. Uh, we need to do more with with figuring out um, better places to stop vehicles. I know state troopers are making a, a passenger side approach to minimize their exposure and vulnerability to traffic. Um, have you heard anything? Uh, novel from from any other agencies on on either of those the ambush or the the traffic uh, um, stops. And so what we do is uh, you know especially as we're looking at uh, our destination zero award submissions we sort of combine the two we're looking at these these programs that are coming from around the country in real time and then we're also looking at our our memorial da- database sort of the numbers that we're talking about right now and trying to figure out a best practice approach. Uh, you know, as far as anything that may jump out individually, we have been looking at some absolutely significant programs. And that's why I would encourage people to go on destinationzero.org, because a lot of these innovative approaches to saving lives are not necessarily coming from some of the larger departments that we might be thinking about. Some of them are coming from, uh, you know, 10 person departments or less but they just have some very innovative thinking coming from there. So what we're looking at doing is looking at all of these programs and sort of extrapolating from those programs, some of the, the, those best practices. So we can really showcase those through Destination Zero. And then as part of almost the solutions, if you will, offer those solutions for agency administrators and for rank and file folks around the country who are doing this job to say, wow, I didn't think about that. Or maybe that, maybe that passenger side approach, I, I think back, when I went through the State Police Academy many years ago, we were taught that then. So this isn't a new idea. It's just a matter of, am I going to be complacent and just walk up because I've made a thousand traffic stops, I'm gonna walk up to the operator on the, on the driver's side, or am I gonna take the opportunity to think about that training? It might take an extra couple minutes, but that may be the couple minutes that saves your life. Am I going to position my vehicle in such a way that maybe if it gets struck from behind, it's going to change the direction and not drive that vehicle into me? Uh, you know, am I going to be, am I going to look out? Am I going to look over my shoulder periodically and sort of pay attention to what's going on? Uh, these struck by crashes happen on a regular basis. We're only talking about the fatalities. Mm-hmm. They are happening every day in every state around this country. Yeah. You have to pay attention. 
And we haven't even started to begin the conversation about talking about these vehicles that sort of have that autopilot feature. And we've started to see a significant increase in these autopilot crashes where people are sort of getting in their vehicle and programming it to go. But those vehicles don't necessarily know if there's a crash in front of you and there's a traffic diversion. It doesn't recognize that there's a traffic diversion. Mm -hmm. So it wants to continue. That vehicle wants to continue straight in its lane. And if you're not paying attention to what's happening, it's, it's going to be too late. And we've seen that happen on a number of occasions. So technology is changing. We need to change as well. And we also need to incorporate police technology into doing that job better. So those are the things that we look at. It's not just the practice. It's the technology. It's the data. And then being able to combine those. And we've already talked about at the fund this year, talking about how can we how can we take those things and cohesively bring them together? So for example, example with, uh, with traffic, as we talk about these traffic deaths and struck bys, we're talking about sort of bringing together a, you know, a national traffic summit to talk about bringing, bringing folks from NHTSA, bringing folks from federal DOT, bringing chief administrators who, who really get it, who understand what's happening, bring folks together and really come up with solutions together. Talk about what we have at our disposal, but there, that, that's not the end of the conversation. We can continue that by really bringing those great minds together to figure out what we can do better. And if that means that we change the way we do business, as long as it's saving lives, let's change the way we do business, because that's the least that we can do for the men and women that are out there doing this job every day. It's, a, it's the most noble and admirable profession uh, that I've ever seen. I have nothing but the highest degree of respect for the men and women that, that are drawn to do this job. But here, it's not here. an easy job. It's not an easy job. Here, so we here. need to support them, you know? Yeah, so we're, we're definitely putting your destinationzero.org in the show notes for listeners to, to click on and, and follow right. up. You also mentioned a lot of things that we see uh, the tenants of below100.org, uh, mm -hmm. another organization dedicated to saving lives of, of officers. So I think both of those are really good sources to sort of bring to the front of your mind what to think about in these situations, um, you know, where you're somebody's watching your six and you're being really strategic in your car stops. Well, great work, uh, great preventative work um, and healing work. Hey, police week is soon upon us. Uh, this is the first assemblage since COVID I'm assuming. Um, what are the special events planned? Well, there's sort of two, when you look at police week, there's sort of two, there's police week, national police week, and then there's police weekend which is in October. So in October, we did have a candlelight vigil last year. We were able to bring some folks together. And I think that was in the neighborhood of about uh, 30,000 folks that came out for that. And that really had been the first time, but this coming police week, which is, is next month, I can't even imagine. Um, that's really gonna be the first actual national police week uh, in May uh, in, in the last couple of years, it's been a while. So I anticipate a large number of folks coming out I would also encourage people, you can uh, go to the App Store and find uh, National Police Week 2022 and download that app because it gives you not only a list of everything that's happening, but where it's happening and when it's happening. So if you are going to go and you, and you want to come to Washington, D.C., which I would encourage everybody to come, every law enforcement person in their career should be there at least once. And even if even if your agency uh, didn't lose somebody in the line of duty this year, uh, or has never lost somebody in the line of duty, um, it really is 
it, it's a wonderful experience to, to feel that camaraderie and support. And, and your presence uh, is also very supportive for the families that are coming for the first time that have lost somebody in the line of duty. Seeing, seeing those numbers, you know, I, I don't know, Jim, if you've had an opportunity to be at the candlelight vigil. Uh, I don't know that words can really express uh, exactly what that means to, to each person. Uh, I know that I've been there a number of times and uh, it, it really strikes it apart inside of you that you feel honored to be able to be there to do that um, and, and, and support folks. You also be, you, you feel honored that you're in, involved in a profession that has so much support in it. Um, and, and really it's a beautiful experience, I think. So it, download that app. Um, also, what I will tell you is during police week, uh, the National Law Enforcement Officer, uh, the National Law Enforcement Museum uh, in DC, right across from the memorial is gonna be open. So please come attend. You'll see the, the, the times that they're open, they're open all week. Come on and visit us and see what's happening there. It's an absolutely amazing museum. Uh, I know people come there, come to DC to see the other museums. If you're in law enforcement, it's a can't miss museum. We'd love to have you come there, but, uh, but take a look at those. So um, Wednesday, the 11th is when it sort of kicks off. You know, that's really sort of the, uh, I guess, I don't wanna say the unofficial kickoff, but uh, that's really when, it, when, when events start picking up. Um, uh, there's a, a canine memorial service uh, that, that's there that night at the memorial. And on the 12th, the unity tour, the police unity tour rides in which if you've never seen that before, it's an absolutely beautiful experience to see all these men and women riding in on their bikes. And it's just, it's a wonderful ser service that happens afterward. Uh, um, so we have that, there's going to be a musical tribute this year, which is something new at the, uh, at the memorial. We'd love to see you there. Um, and of course the candlelight vigil on, uh, on Friday the, the 13th, I believe that's on the 13th. I have to check that, but I think it's on the 13th, uh, but that starts at, at 8 p.m., but that's something you want to get there for early because those of you who have been there realize how many folks, if, if we had 30,000 last time, I would imagine that that could be somewhere in the area of 50 or north of that this year. It's going to be a lot of people coming out this year, and not only that, but there's uh, a lot of names going on the going on the wall. So yeah, unfortunately, you know, I really I have had uh, actually every time I go to Washington D.C., I stop by the memorial. Uh, my FBI National Academy class, we did attend the the candlelight vigil there. It is a moving experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I etched the names of uh, three officers uh, who died in line of duty with my department, San Francisco Police Department. Uh, Sergeant John McCauley, who was my FTO sergeant, just a great guy. Uh, John Blessing, who I had a chance to work with uh, for a few years. And Isaac Espinosa, um, you know, tragically killed in San Francisco. So those, those names uh, have a special place in my heart uh, to see them on the memorial. It is a moving experience. I, I agree with you. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for your military service, your law enforcement service. And, you know, we can say it jokingly sometimes when you say, hey, what are you doing these days? And you say, hey, saving lives. You're doing that. You're saving lives and you're memorializing the lives lost in the line of duty. Thanks so much, uh, Troy Anderson. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. All right. And to our listeners, hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed listening today about the National Law Enforcement Officers uh, Museum and Memorial. And try to get out to Police Week. It, it's a fantastic event if you have not been. 
And we'll see you real soon. Drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com, an email at policingmatters at police1.com. Let me know what you think. Let me know who you want to hear from, what you'd like to hear about. And hey, stay safe. Watch your six. Take good care. I'm Jim Dudley. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com.